Major League Baseball is already acquiescing to the Players Association in regard to the 22nd pitch clock, which are going on in spring training stadiums in Major League Baseball here over the spring training schedule. As we welcome you into the 315th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris, Mike Jansen, Chris Fluke with you, and the story of the day for me and in regard to Major League Baseball, there's two real stories today in Major League Baseball. The first one is, is that Major League Baseball, headed by Commissioner Rob Manfred, they are now saying that they are prepared to ditch the pitch clock until, 20, until the year 2022. Coincidence or not, I'll let you be the, de- the decision maker in this case, but the current labor agreement between the players and the ownership in Major League Baseball runs out in 2021. So that's why they're throwing the Players Association a bone because a lot of pitchers especially obviously have come out and they aren't comfortable with a pitch count. It makes them, it it speeds up their rotation. It speeds everything up. They're not comfortable. Max Scherger, Scherger, excuse me, former Cy Young Award winner in the National League, pitches for the Washington Nationals, has been the most adamant about this, saying that it screws everything up, including my mechanics moving forward. So as a way to pacify the players, Major League Baseball has saying that they are prepared to ditch the pitch clock until the until the 2022 season. That way they can put it as part of the next collective bargaining agreement. I have seen, I saw the Yankees Blue Jays the other day on the Yes Network. That's the Yankee Entertainment Station. And I saw the pitch clock being used. Uh, obviously, the once the ball is returned from the catcher to the pitcher, uh, that starts the clock. And then when the pitcher begins his windup, that stops the clock. And Chris just made a great point. And he's absolutely right. Um, it stops there because if a pitcher starts his motion and then stops, well, that's a balk. So automatically, if there's anybody on base in that situation they get awarded an extra base. So that's why they have determined. Because I was wondering, when do you start it? When do you stop it? That's what I saw. That's what I observed from when I saw the bit of the Yankees-Blue Jays the other day. I've got a comment about that too because the leadoff hitter in that game happens to be one former Blue Jay by the name of Troy Tulowitzki who took the third pitch from Marcus Stroman, knocked it out of the park, and you'd have thought that Tulowitzki had just won had just hit a game-winning homer in Game 6 of the World Series, and here it was, a lousy spring training game, and Tulowitzki went nuts because he's pissed off that Toronto gave up on him. Toronto maybe gave up on him physically because they're, they're starting a full rebuild, and Tulowitzki can't stay healthy falling out of the goddamn shower. But I hope Tulowitzki doesn't forget that the Toronto Blue Jays are still paying him $38 million over the next two years not to play in Canada's biggest city. That should be shocking to Tulowitzki. So get off your high horse and get off that you're pissed off at the Blue Jays. They're still paying you, asshole. It's just too bad that you can't stay healthy. And tell me, Troy Tulowitzki, while I'm on a roll here, tell me that when Didi Gregorius comes back, that you're still going to be the starting shortstop for the New York Yankees. I have a better chance at being the starting shortstop of the New York Yankees when Didi Gregorius comes back than Troy Tulowitzki does. So get off yourself, Tulowitzki. You're not that important, and your best days are way behind you. And I'm. you should just be happy that the Toronto Blue Jays are paying you. 
God, I hate these guys that do that. Fuck <laughs> off. Um, I that just really bothers me. Um, the other baseball story before I get to Chris's comments while I'm rolling here, and this reverts back to last week's episodes when there was some idiot at the Major League Baseball Network that made the announcement or his shared his opinion. I don't know who it was. Doesn't matter. He's an idiot. Um, he thought that defending National League MVP Christian Yelich was the eighth best player in the major leagues. And I'm going, are you fucking kidding me? Now, I acknowledge that maybe Yelich isn't the best. And I rattled off, not rattled, it took me a minute or two, but Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. I don't care what anybody says. 2015, Bryce Harper at that time was one of the best players in baseball. Um, But one of the guys that I did mention, and somebody must have been listening to Unscripted, smart people, Nolan Arenado, the third baseman of the Colorado Rockies on Monday, received a eight-year, $260 million contract extension from the Colorado Avalanche, a contract that now averages $34 million a year. He becomes the second highest paid per average season seasonal pay. He becomes the second highest paid player in the league behind Zach Greinke, the pitcher of the Arizona Diamondbacks. But the... Uh, Nolan Arenado, the reason I bring it up is Arenado was one of the names that I thought was probably potentially on the list as better, as one of the seven players better than Kristen Yelich of the Milwaukee Brewers. But the defending National League MVP, there are not seven players better than that guy. That's fucking ridiculous. But I don't care. Chris doesn't care about that. I want Chris's comments about the Major League Baseball uh, preparing to ditch the pitch clock until twenty. 22 and I think it's just as a way to appease and acquiesce to the players until the collective bargaining agreement expires at the end of the 2021 season yeah this is clearly just that the players are desperate to have this as a bargaining chip as is the league in a way it's something that they can whatever I don't know it's all just a big charade but it's just taking forever I mean this should have been done decades ago really I mean, this is silly already. And you know what? Okay, that's fine. But you guys are so busy arguing with each other that the crowds are going to continue to dwindle. You're going to become more irrelevant. You've already lost the whole... Nobody ever says baseball is the national pastime anymore unless they're joking or else they're, unless they're a TV station promoting a baseball game or well, they've been living in or a, something. They've been living in a cave since 1994. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, okay, fine, but you're going to get that much farther behind and the contracts are keeping getting higher even though it took a while to sign Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, but it did happen in the end at, at about what they wanted. And really, where is this money coming from? Like, how the hell? Like, j- never mind the rest of the team. Just $260 million or $310 million for one guy over a decade? I mean, that's a lot of money. Like, where there's still enough to, you know, run everything else and the owners still make something? It's How are they making that much money? Are they really going to have that much going forward? What I haven't checked baseball ratings in a long time. Maybe I should. They have to be down. They have to be going down. So it doesn't make any sense long term how this is financially su- sustainable. They need a hard salary cap, not a luxury tax piece of shit. And it's just a total joke. And all they're doing is hurting themselves and living their own little bubble because they think that it's all about just taking from each other. Well, they're both losing here if they don't bring in the pitch clock and other needed reforms really soon. And it looks like, to no one's surprise, they're going to fuck it all up and baseball will continue to become more and more irrelevant. Um, Just real quick, before we get on to another topic, um, I did hear on the way over to Chris's house today that the 
San Francisco Giants have re-entered contract negotiations with uh, Bryce Harper, and they are looking at a 10-year deal. So that seems to be the sticking point. I know the Dodgers got the Dodgers got back into negotiations early this week, uh, but they were only offering a shorter term. They didn't want to commit 10 years, and I can I kind of agree with that. Um, they have more options though than the than the uh, Giants do. The Giants desperately need somebody like a Bryce Harper because they just don't have the offensive weapons that the Dodgers do. And but supposedly. As we sit here and broadcast on Wednesday, the 27th of February, the Giants have re-entered into negotiations with Bryce Harper, and the starting point supposedly was the term, which was 10 years, and that seemingly seems to be the magic number to get Bryce Harper's name on a contract. We shall see. Um, I want to go to the National Football League is where I want to go. And a big thing over this, and remember, uh, yesterday was the start of Chris's favorite uh, sports activity over the calendar year, which yesterday was the start of the NFL Combine, the scouting combine in Indianapolis, which is it's just a meat market of idiots is what it is. But it's a way to keep the NFL name, you know, in the headlines and keep us interested because the league year starts on March the 13th and you can that's when you can start signing free agents and such. But one of the interesting subplots of this offseason in the National Football League will be where does Nick Folds end up this year? I think, personally, and I think a lot of it obviously has to do with the injuries that Carson Wentz has sustained, but they didn't draft him number two overall a couple years ago, the year the Rams took Jared Goff number one. They didn't bring this guy in to be you know, shopped to go somewhere else. Obviously, Nick Folds was the backup, but be honest, folks, and, and anybody outside of my friend Helen Keller can see that the Philadelphia Eagles have been a better football team, especially in the postseason, late season and into the postseason, with Nick Folds at quarterback versus Carson Wentz. And whatever reason that is, I'm not privy to that information. My opinion is you look at what the Philadelphia Eagles have done when they won their Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and then last year squeaked into the playoffs and only did it when Nick Foles took over as quarterback for an injured Carson Wentz, got on a late-season a late season run, obviously didn't have the same success they did uh, the previous season, but they still made the, they made the postseason, and they won a playoff game. Nick Foles, the Philadelphia Eagles, have announced that they will not put a franchise tag on Nick Foles, which is really good. Uh, again, the Philadelphia Eagles and Howie Roseman and the rest of that ownership group have proven to be very classy. They treat their football players like individuals. They treat them like human beings. They know for the betterment of Nick Foles moving forward, he needs to be a starter somewhere, and he's not going to get that opportunity in Philadelphia. And they're going to allow him to go find his next place of employment. And the name that I was hearing, Jacksonville, the Jaguars, which I think would be great because... I think Chris would be an obvious upgrade over Blake Bortles in Jacksonville. And if you could get a proven, now a proven NFL quarterback, a Super Bowl winning quarterback, I would think that would... Now, you'd still have to work with Doug Marone, which is, you know, eh, iffy at best. But I think that if you can 
thrive and survive like Nick Foles has in that Philadelphia situation. He's he's done it unbelievably well, and he has sent a message to the other 31 National Football League general managers that, A, if you don't have a backup quarterback, and I'm talking to you, Brian Gutekunst in Green Bay, if you don't have a backup quarterback, you are screwed. Backup quarterback has become a very important position because if your guy goes down and you have to go to Brett Hundley or who's that other loser we had last year? Oh, Kaiser, Deshaun Kaiser. Oof. And that cost us a guy who was drafted number one. I could go on to a diatribe about Gutekunst right now. But I think Nick Folds in Jacksonville makes sense for a lot of different reasons, and that might be the calming effort that would allow that team to play up to their potential more like two seasons ago when they were close to going to Super Bowl. This year, they're back in the lottery of the NFL draft. Well, anything's an upgrade over Blake Bortles, realistically, other than maybe his backup, Cody Kessler. But other than that, <laughs> anything else is, a, is an upgrade. I'm somewhat worried about Nick Foles because he looked great, and I think it was 2013 when he had the 27 touchdowns mm-hmm. and two interception season with Philly. Mm-hmm. Then he goes to the Rams right. and all that, and then just never worked out, and he never looked that great. And even in Philly, looked just atrocious in the Super Bowl winning season late in the year when he did come in after... Uh, Carson Wentz got injured against the Rams and tore his ACL. So Foles comes in, looks like absolute dog shit, frankly. And then Frank Reich and John DeFilippo coach him up, and he goes on a tear, and he starts playing great and wins the Super Bowl, wins Super Bowl MVP, and then had another surprisingly strong showing this year. So will that parlay into his job in another city? I'm not overly convinced that well. Like, I wouldn't bet the farm on it, and I wouldn't go too well, hard if I'm another team. I'd be very cautious about that. I think one of the reasons, and uh, you know this, and I know this, and our educated listeners of Unscripted know this, but one of the reasons Jacksonville has to be intriguing to Nick Foles is because the new offensive coordinator in Jacksonville is John Filippo. Sure, and that makes total sense. And because they work so well together, I think that makes sense. And if you have nothing going on at the quarterback position of any use at all, I mean, if you're the Washington Redskins, as long as Alex Smith might miss this entire year, if you're the Miami Dolphins, if you're somebody like that, that it just has a complete wasteland at the quarterback position up and down the entire roster, then I think you need to maybe look at at a Nick Foles. But I just wouldn't bet the farm on him. I wouldn't trade two first-round picks like he's Johnny Manziel. I just I wouldn't get too excited. The Filippo combination there is just great. So Jacksonville does certainly appear to be the clubhouse favorite right now. But uh, I just I, I like Nick Foles and I wish him the best. I just I'm not convinced that he's going to have that same success exactly. But yes, he's got to be better than Blake Bortles. You mean that um, Miami's quarterback room right now is occupied by Ryan Tannehill and Brock Osweiler? And that th- doesn't that doesn't spell championship. And the third <laughs> the third stringer, number one, his first name is David. I don't want to say his last name yet. The the first number one, he played the exact same number of snaps last year as I did in the NFL. Okay. And number two, his last name is literally fails. David fails. David fails. Spelled differently, but it's fails. I didn't know that. David they might as well fails. call them all that. You David know, fails. Ryan, because Ryan fails as a quarterback, Brock fails as a quarterback, and David fails as a quarterback. They all David fail. Fails. Wow, David fails. Hmm. 
He's probably better than what we have in Green Bay as our backup quarterback. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. Deshaun Kaiser is right at the absolute oh, bottom. Jesus, and we traded, we traded Demetrius Randall for that. Randall went on. He was borderline. He was in the consideration. Didn't make the All Pro team, but he was borderline at safety. A former number one overall, a number one pick, not overall, former number one pick of the Packers. We trade him to Cleveland for Deshaun Kaiser. And when Aaron Rodgers had the concussion in week 17 at home against Detroit, they had to go to Kaiser and we get shut out 31 nothing at home to the Detroit Lions. Well, oh God. Well, you started this whole conversation while talking about the combine, and the combine is exactly why that scouts have gotten so lazy because they don't have yeah. to do their own thing. Oh, he ran this. How about John Ross with the Cincinnati Bengals right now? They're trying to trade him. He ran, yeah. what, a 4-2-3? Like, this is, what, the second best time of all time in the 40? And he sucks. His first season with Cincinnati, I think he finished with, like, one carry for 10 yards and, like, no or one catch for negative some yards. No, like, he no. literally finished the year with negative receiving yards, which is almost impossible. Like, that's got to have happened maybe once or twice in history, I'd guess. You know, you go a whole season with negative receiving yards. That's unbelievable. So they're trying to trade him, despite what they're saying to the contrary. They are, my reports tell me, they are trying to trade John Ross. And this is a great example here, because I'm not sure that Deshaun Kaiser had anything great that he did at the Combine, but he was, if you can't, if you aren't, just to have no ability as a talent evaluator, then what are you doing at the National Football League level? And how are these guys slipping through the cracks? Are just they all terrible? Because if you watch Deshaun Kaiser do anything in Cleveland, you would know he's terrible and he has no chance. Like, there's just, it's so obvious. He's one of those guys that makes me yell at the TV. Like, how does anyone not see how terrible this guy is? Is it because he was in the same draft class as Deshaun Watson? And like, oh, they're both named Deshaun, even though they're spelled totally differently, so they both must be equal. They're not. Deshaun Watson, despite Bill O'Brien's terrible coaching and his regression this year is is still a great player and Deshaun Kaiser is not he's terrible that one play when he was on the Browns and he literally just didn't know what to do so he just threw it straight up in the air I mean I'm sorry you can't get worse than that he's terrible he has no chance and then they send him they think oh well maybe quarterback whisperer Mike McCarthy will fix everything well I'm a quarterback whisperer if I'm coaching Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers in their primes like yes then I'm great at coaching quarterbacks too like it's just insanity like it's just layers of incompetence oh like the the scouting to think that Kaiser's any good the talent evaluation yeah, and then they, they send it to a guy who they think is a quarterback guru who's not. I mean, it's just levels and levels of incompetence. And I'm not trying to pick on the Packers here, but Jesus. Like, it's just, it's unbelievable how much incompetence there is. So they try to substitute in this stupid combine and guys doing fucking three cone drills. Like, that's going <laughs> to translate to anything. When you've got Jerry Rice telling you, I sucked at the combine and on the field they couldn't catch me. So you know what? Learn how to evaluate talent. That's why the one good thing the Raiders have done is bring in Mike Mayock, a tremendous talent evaluator, who, by the way, is interesting, came out and said that Derek Carr, he thinks, is a franchise quarterback, which is very, because that might be put him at loggerheads with Gruden, because Gruden's saying he liked Kyler Murray, which I can almost guarantee Mike Mayock doesn't see the potential in a 5'9 quarterback in the NFL, but that's for another discussion. But you get guys like Mike Mayock in there, someone who knows how to evaluate talent, not this crap where it's just some businessman hacks that they have and then they just have these 
coaches who don't know how to use advanced analytics or scout things properly and they just say oh i saw him good so they they, they, <laughs> they draft that's a classic phrase from from a scout's like i saw him good and it just it's just geez it's unbelievable so you can't get any worse than this the combine just leads to more incompetence with scouting and talent evaluation and it's a total embarrassment and it has no transferable relevance to be transposed onto the nfl in a game situation so the combine can go fuck itself um, that is the voice of the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke. I'm Mike Jansen with you on this 315th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. And we switch gears to the hardwood, Adam Silver's League, the National Basketball Association, and a couple of funny stories. That uh, One that's kind of interesting and another one that just scares the living crap out of me. And the first one is... The all-time leading scorer in NBA history is a guy that you well know is, is a guy by the name of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Came out of UCLA in 1969 as Lou L. Cinder from Power Memorial High School back in uh, New York, back in the day, New York City. Um, but Kareem is going to be putting four of his six championship rings up for sale at auction. Now, I'm a little surprised by this. Now, he has said that it's going up and it's going to benefit and it's going up for charity, and I'm appreciative of that. But I don't care what area you played in or have played in or are playing in. All I have ever heard from all of my years of listening to dumb jocks with a microphone in their mouth sit here and say, I play for the rings. Well, why would Abdul-Jabbar... Now, I know... Early in his career, this might have been at the end of his Milwaukee career or at the beginning of his Los Angeles career when he was traded in 75, his house burned down to to the foundation and everything that was in it, which was including his prized jazz album collection, and he had a bunch of rugs that he collected, and they were worth you know, millions, and they were all gone in the fire. And... I'm just wondering why, at this point, if you play for the rings, and that's what it seems to be for as each year the rings get gaudier and gaudier with more diamonds, and they just, you know, they seem to take up the whole hand now. But I'm just wondering what the real reason is. I don't think Abdul Jabbar needs the money. I'm glad to hear that he is putting this money up for, uh, to, uh, on, at auction for charity. But. As a guy that is the number one overall, all-time leading scorer in NBA history, uh, he was a six-time MVP. Um, you know, he's one of the iconic guys that the National Basketball Association was built on. He was one of the building blocks. Kareem and his sky hook were, I mean, that was transcendental with that damn shot. And and thankfully for years, he was doing it for two of my favorite teams, first for the Bucks and then for the Lakers. But uh, I'm kind of surprised that a guy would do this. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I'm not expecting uh, Kareem to come out and make a statement about it. And I'm not. I'm not asking him to. But I am kind of surprised that an athlete would put four of his champion of his six championship rings up for auction. I, I find that a bit strange. Yeah, the story doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I appreciate that at least he's doing it for a good reason. At right. least it's. You know, not to raise money for his cocaine addiction or something. Like, I mean, I, 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 great. That's great. He's giving to charity and donating something very valuable to himself. I mean, on paper, that should be a really noble thing that yeah. we should be 
appreciating, but I just, I don't get it on either side, I guess, is the problem, because not only does it not make any sense to give away something that that's valuable, that you worked hard for, but it doesn't have any relevance to the person getting it, too. Like, who's going to get it? The only person who could get it would be some rich guy who's just then going to say to his friends, look, that's one of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's rings, you know? And so, it okay, and it's like, okay, cool, man. And then you move on to, okay, and now here's your expensive art collection. Like, it's just this thing you bought just to show how rich you are. Like, it doesn't have any relevance. Like, if some rich guy showed me that he bought Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's ring, I'd be like, okay, so you have a lot of money. I don't care. Big deal. You didn't earn that ring. It doesn't have any relevance to anybody else. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar yeah. won that ring. It, it, there's no one else on earth that that truly means what it's supposed to mean to them. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. It's just. It's like a non sequitur. It makes no sense at all. It doesn't translate to anyone else. It's even if somebody else buys it, it's still Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's ring. Yeah. Like it just. It makes no sense. It's. It's this weird sort of a thing like does he have no money he's desperate to give to charity but he can't he's poor or something like he blown all his money on something it doesn't make any sense at all and it's you know there's so much he could give why doesn't he give away i'm assuming he has lots of cars why doesn't he give away his sixth car instead like it doesn't make any sense on any level and i didn't think i'd be able to criticize a guy for giving to charity or for giving away something that's really valuable to himself but in this case, I have to because it doesn't make any sense, and I actually would like him to explain himself because this is just stupid. Well, supposedly each of the six, excuse me, each of the four rings, and he's putting up jerseys and other memorabilia as well, but each of the four rings will start with a base, the lowest they can go is 60 grand. Yeah, but... So if he sells all rings at 60 grand, that's $240,000, but obviously I think it'll go more than 60 grand for a championship ring from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. I'm just kind of surprised by it. I, I don't know. Before we get out of here, though, I do have to... Quick, kind of a funny NBA story, but it would scare the living shit out of me. And I'm a bit claustrophobic as it is. But recently, the Portland Trailblazers on their last uh, road trip, doesn't matter where, folks, in their team hotel, all 12 members... The 12 players were stuck in an elevator for 30 minutes. Now, drowning scares the hell out of me. Drowning and just, you know, watching your, you know, just not being able to, you know, seeing yeah. the, the surface of the water. You can swim, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. But I mean, just the thought of, uh, you, yeah, ha yeah, you, have yeah. to, you have to be able to swim to be in the military. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Um, but... Just the thought of looking up and seeing the water and you can't go get a breath, just that almost almost debilitates me to the point. And being, you know, like in a closet or an elevator, I'm not good in elevators, but I couldn't imagine being stuck in an elevator for over 30 minutes with probably at least, what, five or six guys that are six, seven or above, maybe more. What in the hell would you do for 30 minutes in an elevator? And I, I I, think I would be a mess. I think I would try to, in each corner of an elevator, there's a little escape hatch, I think. I mean, if you've seen any of the Bruce Willis movies or or uh, uh, who's my boy, James Bond, every James Bond movie has an elevator with an escape clause. But can you imagine sitting in an elevator with, it doesn't matter anybody, but really different if you're sitting there with guys that are 
let's say I'm in the elevator with the 12 Portland Trailblazers and you've got seven millionaires or 12 millionaires and they're all six, seven or above and you're sitting there, not that the height makes any difference, but I would go crazy. I, I think that these people would want to kill me at the end of it because I'd be making so much noise, hoping that with my voice and somebody else's voice, maybe we'd wake somebody up. But I can't imagine how difficult that would be for a person that's a bit claustrophobic, as I've mentioned, like I am, to be stuck in an elevator for 30 minutes. That would drive me crazy. I don't think that would bother me all that much, to be honest with you. Well, you're much more calm than I am. (laughs) You're much more, you know, you you handle your emotions much better than I do. Oh, jeez. You're much better in tune with how to do that kind of shit. I would go, I'd go off the deep end. And I'd be like, how the hell am I getting out of here? And and I'd be, I don't know, I don't carry a screwdriver or anything like that. I wouldn't know how to use it anyway. But I'd try to beat the shit out of something because I'd have to get out of that enclosed that enclosed area because that would drive me crazy. Oh, I would start, I would strike up conversation and just try to uh, get that going and have some fun and then make the time go by more quickly. That's what I, that's what I would do. But I understand. I'm just not claustrophobic, but I can understand how people would be for sure. So, I, oh, you know, when I was in basic training a hundred years ago and we'd have to, you'd have to go, you know, into a, a chamber to work on putting a gas mask on and getting it off. And you, they throw you into a, into a chamber with the, with the, with the, uh, and you'd have to try to figure out how to put the gas mask on. Cause if you don't, they haul you out because it could kill you if you don't. So, but they're trying to have you adapt. And that was the worst thing that had ever happened to me because a bit claustrophobic. Thankfully I got the mask on. But I think that would be drowning and that and being in an elevator for 30 minutes are three of the worst things that could ever happen to me. I just, oh, just thinking about it when I saw this, I had to make mention of it today. Not because it's a blazers, not be, but being stuck in an elevator for 30 minutes, that'd be the end of me. I, I really believe that. We've got to run on this uh, 200 and 300. God, I keep saying that all the time. Give us proper credit here, dipshit. That is, we'll wrap up our 315th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. As always, we thank everybody for participating and hope that you continue to do so. Leave your questions, comments, whatever on our different social media avenues for you to do so. And again, not to sound repetitive, but just reminding you that if you take the time to leave a question, comment, statement, whatever, we will find the time to put it on Unscripted Air with Mike and Chris. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.